Okay. All right, so we're going to start just a, a short series, a three-part series uh, around the Christmas theme uh, of the incarnation or the virgin birth of Jesus. Three parts I'm going to take on that. And um, two reasons I'm going to do that. The first one is that um, basically Satan hates this teaching, this doctrine. He hates it. That God was manifest in the flesh, became a human being like you and I. He hates that teaching. In fact, you know, the, the first council meeting that was called once the Bible was concluded, the first council meeting was in the Bible, the Council of Jerusalem, that was to resolve the issue of salvation. It's salvation by grace, not by grace and works. Amen? But then the second council meeting that was called was called to deal with this heresy that was starting to circulate by a man called Arius. Arius, or Arius which is that Jesus was not God. He was a created being, the highest created being, he said, but still a created being like you, like, like the angels, like anything that's created. He was not God. Now, that was so serious that all the leaders from over the Roman Empire basically came together to resolve this issue and to make it very clear that Jesus Christ is God who is manifest in the flesh. But Satan hates this doctrine. And, um, you know, that teaching, of course, has been embraced by, by the cults. They still, you know, Satan still tries to introduce it through the cults. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that Jesus is God. And that's, that's an issue that, we, that makes them a cult different from us. Um, and, and so it's important for us to look at it for that reason. It's, it's quite sad that, you know, uh, uh, someone who's been a Jehovah's Witness for six months can turn up on the doorstep of someone who's been a Christian for 20 years and often tie them in knots because they don't understand what the Bible says about this. Now, probably if there's anyone to be at fault, it'll be here because we don't teach enough about that. And that's why I'm doing that today so that we can be equipped with that understanding. But the second reason, of course, is that this is such a great teaching. It's such a glorious thing. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, an aspect of the amazing love of God to us. That God sent his son into the world as a human being to die for us. Uh, it's not only amazing, it's actually breathtaking when you consider this, this doctrine, this teaching. And that's why I just want to spend time. And, and uh, it relates to us in three ways. That's why I'm, I'm spending three parts to this teaching. First of all, it relates, as you can see here today, to our salvation or our justification, the incarnation and our salvation, why it's essential for our, our salvation that God became a man. But then secondly, um, relating to our sanctification. We're going to see that next week, okay? And then thirdly, our glorification. So these are three major teachings. It sounds a little bit echoey, David, is it? A bit too high. Um, so, okay, let's get into this teaching for this morning anyway. And um, uh, I know that you, your eyes keep drifting over there, so I won't <laughs> keep you too long this morning. But, um, <laughs> no, it's okay, Rob. Um, 
First of all, I want to say this, that we need to go right the way back to the beginning to understand this doctrine, right the way back to the Garden of Eden, right the way back to Adam. That's where it all started, okay? Now, when God put Adam in paradise, he said to him, as you know, you can eat of any of the fruits of the trees of this garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. And we know what happened. He partook of the fruit and he died physically and spiritually. He died. Now, here's the problem. Adam was not just on probation for himself, but for the entire human race. He represented every human being that would be born. And so when he sinned, he died but we died too. Death came to us. In fact, the Bible teaches two things, that, that his sin was imputed to us as if it was our own sin so that we were adjudged guilty for that sin, okay? But also his sin nature was imparted to us so that we were born with a sin nature. We don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's how we came into this world. Amen? Now, I don't know what you think about that, but I know many people that when I explain that, they say that's not fair. Of course it's not fair. There's nothing fair about that. It's totally unfair. Amen? But he's very wise. And we're going to see how it is wise. But don't really ask God to be fair. You, you don't need God to be fair, okay? To be fair means that you get what you deserve. Now, if you're going to ask God to give you what you deserve, please don't do it when I'm standing near you. <laughs> All right? I don't mind you doing it, but I just want to be far away from you when you do that. Because... When you get what's fair, you get justice, right? God doesn't give us justice. He gives us mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Amen? And the Bible says that he has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. That's mercy. Amen? As the psalmist said in another place, Lord, if you should mark iniquity, who would stand? In other words, if, any, if everybody got what was fair, who would be remaining? <laughs> who would be left standing? No one. Amen? So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'm into grace. I'm into grace. That's why David said, goodness which is the grace of God, the unmerited favour of God, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That's my testimony. I, I, I often ask God why, but not why in the sense of why are you unfair, but why, why do you keep blessing me so much? Why do you give me so much? Why, do you, why are you so good to me? Because of the grace of God. Amen? Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. God keeps cleaning up after me, clearing up after me, mercy, 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 every day, and goodness, grace, 
showered upon me. That's the goodness of God. Amen. So, here we've got this problem. Adam brought sin and death into the world, which was passed on to every living human being. Okay? Now, God did not create humanity to destroy it. God had a much higher purpose. And that purpose was that we would be created in his glory to, so that he could shine through us, manifest his glory through us. Amen. But also so that we should reign on earth, have dominion over all of God's creation. And, and so God's purposes might be interrupted, but they're not thwarted. But God had to come up with a plan, if you like, to bring the human race back on course, to bring us back to himself. But he had to do it in a way that upheld his justice, his righteousness, his holiness. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world. Let's have a look at that this morning. Okay, before God could save us, two things were essential. The incarnation, which is what we're celebrating at Christmas, and the atonement, which is what we celebrate, if you like, at Easter, but we celebrate it all through the year, okay? Our salvation requires not only Calvary, but also Bethlehem. We cannot separate what Jesus did from who he is. The two are as important to each other. He is God. He is God. He's co-equal and co-eternal with God. All that God is, Jesus always has been and always will be. But at Bethlehem, he came in the flesh. Something was added to Jesus at Bethlehem, and that was his humanity. Up until then, deity. But now, deity and humanity. Two natures in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He could not have saved us if he isn't God. If he was just a man then he's finite, not infinite, finite. So he could, okay, one man could die for one person. But because he's God, he's infinite. His death could be atoned for the entire human race if they put their trust in him. Amen. But in order to save us, he needed also to be man. He needed to identify with us, to take on our, our nature so that he could represent us be a human dying for humanity. A man brought sin into the world, only a man could take it out. Amen. So we're going to look at those two things very briefly this morning, because it, it is a little bit doctrinal, a little bit theological, so I'm not going to go long, otherwise then it gets bogged down. I just want to keep it flowing, bring out the main points, and, and just capture the wonder of what God did at Christmas. In the beginning was the word. Okay, the word there, the word for word, is Logos. So the name for the Son of God in the beginning was the Logos, the word. Okay? It wasn't called Jesus until he came to earth. Jesus is his earthly name. He shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But before, he was the Son of God, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very clear, isn't it? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made 
that was made. So that really destroys the theory of Arius, doesn't it? Who says he was a created being because he says that everything was created through him. How could it be created through him if he wasn't yet created? How could he be created if he was, if everything was created through him, that means himself. No, no, he was in the beginning with God and he was God and everything was made through him. Praise God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth wow this is the wonder of christmas the word the eternal word the son of god became flesh and dwelt amongst us the image of the invisible god the true representation and likeness of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you must look at Jesus. He's the only true image and representation of God. What is God like? Full of grace and truth. Revealed through Jesus. Okay, let's just say that a little bit differently, the, how that happened. The seed of the eternal Logos was placed into the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit and the God-man, Jesus, was born. Now don't ask me to explain it because we can't understand it. You don't have to understand everything to believe it. That's the problem. Otherwise your mind is God. You cannot understand everything. Our, our, our response to revelation is faith, to trust what God has revealed. Amen? And so the Word became flesh. Now, God had already sent his angel to Mary to announce that she would be the one through which Jesus would come into the world. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? I've not had sexual relationships with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born would be called the Son of God. Wow, so Mary must have been blown away, but, but then she has to tell Joseph, I'm going to have a son, but you're not going to be the dad. Oh, who's going to be the dad? God. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what? My, my view, I may be wrong about this, my view is that Joseph knew her so well that he believed her. And now we're going to look at this when the angel came to Joseph. This is why I believe it. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, if he didn't believe her, but he just wanted to put her away secretly, break off the engagement and, and leave it at that, he would have said, Joseph being a merciful man. Okay? He believed she played up, she, had, she committed fornication, but being a merciful man, he put her away secretly and went on with his life. But it doesn't say that. It said being a just man, knowing that she was not guilty of fornication and yet knowing that no one would believe that she conceived of the Holy Spirit, 
right? And that probably he thinks I'm out of the picture now. God is going to bring, you know, his son into the world through her. And, and I'll just put her away privately because I'm a just man. Put her through no shame or anything like that. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the deity of Jesus. So Jesus is God incarnate, the word made flesh. Let's just have a look at some verses that make that very clear. First of all, he's called God. We just saw that, didn't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very clearly. Divine works are credited to him. Creation. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He's the creator. When he was on earth... He sometimes forgave people and said, your sins are forgiven you. And, and his enemy said, that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus said, I've got no problem with that. That's why I'm forgiven him. He's God. God who, who alone can forgive sins. He claimed to be God. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now, they were going to kill him. If he wanted to save his life, he would, he would have just said, no, hang on, hang on, you, you misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm equal with God. But he didn't say that. That's exactly what he was saying. I, my, God is my father making myself equal with God. He possessed divine attributes, eternity. Eternity. He's the eternal God. In Revelation 1 verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Omnipresence. Present everywhere. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Jesus is with us this morning by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we fail to acknowledge that or, 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 or to, you know, to remind ourselves of that and marvel at it, that Jesus is in our midst by the Holy Spirit, not only in our midst, but in the midst of every congregation or, or group of believers that are gathered together in his name. He is there in the midst. And then we, we see also that when he sent his disciples out to preach the gospel, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And I think, I think he knew, well, I know he knew, that we would have, I think it's because he knew that we would have opposition as we go. We'd always have opposition. When you, when you go to preach the gospel, you'll have opposition. Count on it. But he just wanted to remind us, it's okay, I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Omniscience. He knows all things. He knew that before the cock crew, Peter would deny him three times. And then when he restored him, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you know what Peter said? Lord, you know all things. You know all things. 
I don't even have to answer that question. In other words, you know that I love you. Omnipotence, we've just read. There it is, the Almighty. The Almighty. He doesn't just have power, he has all power. He isn't just mighty, he's almighty. Amen? Immutability, that word means unchangeable. This world will change. It will change and, and there will be new heavens and a new earth. Everything changes in the world. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Ah, the I am statements. You, we, we know that I am is the name of God. When, when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, he revealed himself by the name I am. Who, shall I, who are you? Who shall I say sent me? Moses said, I am. I am that I am. The eternal I am. Amen. I am. And Jesus often used that name for himself. In fact, when he was talking with the Jews about, um, because they were bragging about the fact that Abraham was their father, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now we would say, that's bad grammar. <laughs> you mean I was? Now he wasn't even just talking about the fact that he was there before Abraham, but, but he was the God of Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. I love this verse here where, where it talks about these verses where it talks about when they came to arrest Jesus. His time had come now. Okay, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. In fact, uh, sorry, if you look at um, uh, in the... In the um, where is it? I've lost my place. There you go. If you look in the original, that word he is not there. It's not in the manuscript. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. I am. Then look at this. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am, he is not there, okay? I am, they drew back and fell on the ground. Just saying his name, I am. These Gentile, heathen, pagan soldiers fell back upon the ground because they, they were in the presence of God manifest in the flesh. Amen. He was worshipped as God. After the resurrection, when he appeared to Thomas and he showed him the nail prints in his hand, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, if he was not God, he would have corrected Thomas. He would have said, No, just, just, just don't say that, Thomas. Only, only the Father is God. But he did not say that. He received that worship. And then as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, uh, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now again, you know, he would have told them to get up, not to worship him if he was not God, because that's blasphemy. But he received their worship. Now, the father didn't say that was blasphemy. It didn't diminish the father, but it honours him. We're going to look at this passage in just a moment. But, you know, Paul says that there's coming that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we honour the Son, we honour the Father. As we worship the Son, we worship the Father. That's the reality. 
And right now, he's worshipped in heaven and will be worshipped eternally in heaven. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever, receiving the same worship and praise as the Father. Amen? I hope you got these verses down because... If you did, I tell you what, the next time the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they'll never come back. If you, if, you, if you just share these with them, you'll never hear from them again. Amen. But he's God manifest in the flesh. That's the wonder of the incarnation. He is God who came in the flesh. In creation, man was made in God's image. In the incarnation... God was made in man's image. I think Charles Wesley put it in one of his carols. God was contracted to a span. Even a little baby. Just mind-blowing. God contracted to a span. Through the incarnation, he had a body like ours. That body was conceived in the womb, it, it developed in the womb, it grew in the womb, just the same as every other human being. That's why Paul says he was made of a woman, made of a woman. Thomas Watson said, as bread is made of wheat and wine is made of grapes, so he was made of a woman. His body was part of the flesh and the substance of Mary. He had a body, a human body and soul like ours. That's what we, when we talk about a human nature, that's what we mean. He had a body and a soul like ours. He came, the Bible says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means he came in the flesh, as we've seen, God manifest in the flesh, the word became flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. The only exception was in him there was no sin. It had to be that way to save us. He had to be the spotless lamb of God. So he didn't come from Adam. We're going to see that. He came directly from heaven. The seed of the Logos placed in the womb of Mary. Came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, he, he placed himself under all the human limitations and restrictions that you and I experience on a daily basis. But he's God, yes. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Limited himself to humanity in terms of his movement and so on. He went through the normal processes of human development. In fact, I would say this. He was more like us than Adam was because Adam came as a full-grown adult. He was created as a full-grown man, not as a baby. But Jesus, like us, came from the womb, born, and, and, and developed just like you and I. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Then it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. In other words, he grew in wisdom intellectually, stature physically, favor with God spiritually, Favour with man, socially, 
He developed in all these areas just like you and I. And he experienced normal human experiences and emotions that are known to us. He was hungry, so he ate food. He was thirsty, so he drank water. He was tired, so he rested. He needed to sleep, so he slept. And, and, and as a human, one fellow human to other fellow humans, he felt compassion. He felt compassion. He knew what it was that people were going through and, and could sympathize and empathize with them because of that. That's why the Bible says, now we do not have a high priest which cannot be uh, you know, touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted and tried as we are. He experienced compassion and sorrow, agony, weeping. He was tempted as you and I are tempted and even, of course, died. He prayed. Not play acting. He prayed because he could do nothing without the Father, just like every other human believer. We can do nothing without him. Amen. I wonder, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. There are many mysteries that are explained. The word mystery, by the way, means something that was hidden but now has been revealed. The veil has been drawn back and, and it's been made clear to us. There are many mysteries in the Bible, but, but this is a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He is unlike any other being, human or divine, because he has two natures now. He has two natures. He has human nature and divine nature. One person, two natures, yet the natures not commingled and confused like some hybrid new, new, new sort of species, but separate and distinct. Two, per, two natures, but one person. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That, that phrase actually means, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, to held on to. It's, it's almost like the counterpart of Satan, Lucifer, Lucifer made a, wasn't divine, but made a grab for deity, try to ascend and be like God. Jesus is divine, but he did not count his equality with God something to be grasped and held on to, but made himself of no reputation. No reputation. Can you just imagine living next door to Jesus for 30 years and not understanding that's, that next door neighbor is God? <laughs> huh? made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself even more and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exhorted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Do you know the wonder of the, the incarnation is that when Jesus had finished his work on earth, when he died on the cross and returned to heaven, he did not shed his humanity. He is still God and man. There is a man on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. A man who was in all points tempted and tried as we are, who can relate to us. When you get to heaven, you will see the nail prints in his hand. You will see the scar in his side. Isn't that, don't you find that amazing? That Jesus took our humanity and for an eternally now has the same nature as you and I. That's why I say it's breathtaking. It's a, it just causes me to be in awe and wonder that God would do that for us. He remained fully God, yet he lived as man, relying upon the Holy Spirit to do what he did. He didn't empty himself of deity, but of his glory. His glory was hidden by his humanity. His humanity was like the veil that hid his, his, his deity from us. He didn't use his deity to shirk from his humanity with all its lowliness. There wasn't times when he, he said, oh, this is getting hard. I think I'll just draw upon my deity now to get through this. No. He lived on earth as a man with all its lowliness, shame and suffering. He gave up his right to do this. He gave up his right to fall back into his deity while on earth. His humility is seen in his servanthood. He's taking humanity and finally the shameful and substitutionary death by becoming sin for us. Now the Father has exalted him so that every knee in heaven and on earth shall bow to him. Now we come right back now as we finish up to where we started. You know, what I said in the beginning helps you to understand now the incarnation. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. Okay, God created Adam in the image of God with life. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. See, Adam never passed on the life of God to us. He passed on his nature, which is sin. But Jesus came sinless, not the offspring of Adam, but God manifest in the flesh and never sinned. He knew no sin, he did no sin in him, there was no sin, and he gave us life. He's a life-giving being. Amen. The first man was of the earth. God created him from the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The Logos was placed in the womb of Mary. Amen? Okay, now we come to this. Those of you that said it's not fair. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's 
obedience, many will be made righteous. Can you see the wisdom of God? See, God knew that with Adam's nature or without it, we would sin anyway. We would have sinned. So God chose to deal with the human race on the basis of a representative. And as far as he's concerned, as we can see there, there are only two representatives. Jesus is not only the last Adam, but he's the second man. So there's, in other words, there's no one in between. There's only, it's either Adam or Jesus. Okay? So God chose to deal with the human race on the basis of a representative. Every human was initially represented by Adam, received his sin and his sin nature. Now you say that's not fair. I say that's not fair. But I've never heard anybody say it's not fair that Jesus should suffer on the cross for my sin. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever said it's not fair that he should live a righteous life and that his righteousness should be imputed to me as my very own righteousness. Nobody says that. Amen. This is the gospel. This is the good news. I love the way that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it. He says, you know what? If you were on a, a ship that struck an iceberg, say you're on the Titanic, okay? And it struck an iceberg and it's going down. Glug, 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 glug. And you're on that ship. Would you be pacing the deck saying, this is not fair. That captain is at fault. I didn't strike the... That captain should have been watching what he was doing and he had no control over the ship and because of his... No, you would not be doing that. If there was another ship coming towards you to rescue you, you get off that sinking ship and onto that ship. Amen? So while people try to argue with God about what's fair and what's not fair, God says, just trust me, I'm, I'm sending on another ship. <laughs> get on that ship now. This human race is the sinking ship. This is Adam's race. It's going down, friends. But Jesus is the rescue ship. Get off the sinking ship. Get on to Jesus. That's God's way. That's God's wisdom. That's why the Bible says that Christ is not only the power of God, but the wisdom of God. Amen. You trust in him, and by his obedience, you are made righteous. I often ask people, by whose obedience are you made righteous? Your obedience? No, his obedience. He obeyed, you're made righteous. He obeyed, you believed. You don't obey unto righteousness, you believe unto righteousness. Amen. He became poor, and he did become poor. We see that very clearly. He, be, he was born into a poor family. You know, when, when a baby was born in, in, a, in the Jewish world, they offered a sacrifice to God. It could, if you were rich, it was, a, it was a, a bullock. Okay, that's a rich family. Most family would offer a lamb. A poor family that had no, not much could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And that's what Joseph and Mary offered. He was born into a poor family, born in a manger. He became poor so that we might be made rich. Amen? He was born of a virgin so that we might be born of God, born again. He took our flesh so that we might partake of his spirit. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh so that we might have a body like unto his glorious body. 
This body we know is not yet redeemed, but we're going to have a body like unto his glorious body, incorruptible, undefiled, and uh, immortal. He came to earth so that we might go to heaven. And the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men might become sons of God. This is the wonder of the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And friends, he did it all for us because he loved us so much. The gospel is a message from God to the world. Friends, it's not an optional message. This is so spectacular. This is so amazing. It's not a take it or leave it thing. This is the gospel. This is what God has done for you and for me. And he wants one response from us only, that we believe in his son unto eternal life. Believe that we cannot save ourselves. Believe we're on this sinking ship going down. Believing that God in his love has sent us a saviour. And get on that ship. Amen? If the eternal, infinite, infinite, almighty God sent his son into the world to speak to us, we must listen to him. Amen. Let's pray together. Praise God. I don't know if uh, everyone that's listening to this, either here or online or later on on YouTube, whether you have yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but friends, the Bible says this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This is what God in his great love and wisdom and power has done for us, sending his son into the world to take on our flesh so that he might die in our place and redeem us. And I urge you today, put your trust in Jesus. Today, say, yes, Lord, I take Jesus to be my saviour. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I know that because I believe in him, I am saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Believe on him today and you'll be saved. And, and when you do that, tell someone that you've done it. Tell someone, say, I did that. I, I've accepted Jesus as my saviour. Now I trust in him and him alone. Father, we thank you for such amazing love displayed to us at that Christmas time when God came into the world through Mary and became a little baby, went all the way to Calvary so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to you. We thank you for this amazing love. The old, old story, it's ever new to us. We love to hear it. We love to sing about it. We love to rejoice in it, Lord. And as Paul said, God forbid that I should glory in anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Father, bless this word to us, we pray. Let it be a good fruit in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise God. <laughs>